Hello. Welcome to Waldman's Words with Emily Burke, Jed Fuchs, and Jan Zonka of the Dallas String Quartet. What a guest. Uh, and we use the word quartet, but Dallas String Quartet is not really a quartet. They have a lot of members. Not strictly. Quartet just sounds cool. And Ben Folds 5 is not 5. Wow. And Rascal Flats is not one dude. <laughs> nor flat. So just saying. Lock and one Big on Little there. Town is the last joke we're going to make in this regard. And it's not a town, nor is it big, nor is it little. Of course, that's our fearless leader, Scott Waldman. And Jan will be fearless in a second. Fearless. Jan's got a Fearless great Records. Yeah, mm, that was a shout out to Fearless Records, of course. Duh. Jan's got a great story. Jan perseveres. You ever hear someone and you're like, dude, like you could have stopped a long time ago and they didn't. And they just kept going and going. He's such a Zonka. Hey, man. You know, I'm yawning about it in a good way, in a positive, in a very good way. Yeah, no. that was funny. I like to tell Jed that he's funny with my laugh and my words. So, Jed, that was funny. Yes, it's all about the validation. Yeah, I know. And and speaking of validation, we've got Emily Burke as a co-host. Ah, This is a very interesting episode. It's one of those where, you know, some episodes we really focus on advice. We really focus on the life story. We really focus on this or that. This one is truly like a story of like, you just need to see where life takes you because you never know where you're going to end up and like what you're going to enjoy. Because like, Jan uh, originally is not from the US and then came here, came, went to Louisiana, ended Louisiana. up in Louisiana. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just like, uh, mm-hmm. you know what? Go where life takes me, do what's best. And now he's part of the Dallas Green Quartet. Mm-hmm. Like, any step of the way, he could have stopped and been like, okay, I'm happy. Like, I did enough, and he didn't, and now he's a big-time musician. And I just want it to be said that if you see the verbiage Dallas String Quartet, you might think that you're going to a symphony with your grandma. That is not true. They are a crossover electric string quartet, and so I've never heard... String Quartet presented in a badass manner. And I stan it, Emily. I stan it. Oh, we're teaching Scott all the zillennial words. The tickety-tockety-gram. Stan oh. actually came from Eminem. Yeah. So. Really? Well, yeah, well, I remember when that song came out. That's Eminem, Scott. <laughs> uh, all right, well, you were yeah. three when the Marshall Mathers LP came out. And right, exactly. I could talk to you for days about that. And Jed, wait, Jed, what year were you? Were you 92? 92. Oh, fuck you guys. Yeah. Anyway, okay. thank you, Jan. <laughs> Jan, you're a baller. You're a badass. We're going to wrap things up so we can dive straight into your episode. Jan, I enjoyed talking to you. Jed enjoyed talking to you. Emily enjoyed talking to you. And everyone listening, Stick around for Jan Zanka of the Dallas String Quartet, live on Waldman's Words. Hello. Welcome to Waldman's Words with Emily Burke, Jed Fuchs. My name is Scott Waldman, and our guest is Jan Zanka of the Dallas String Quartet. Woo! Woo! Jan, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Pumped to have you. Can you give us a, a quick elevator pitch of who you are and who the Dallas String Quartet is? Sure. Um, 
So I was born in Romania, um, moved to United States in 2001 to study music. I come from a family of musicians. And uh, I moved here in August, and then 9-11 happened. My mom called me to come back home. I said, I just got here, so I'm not coming back. Ah. <laughs> uh, I finished. I went initially, went to LSU, uh, then transferred, moved from there to SMU in Dallas, and finished my uh, bachelor and master degree in music at SMU here in Dallas. Bro, you're spilling all the beans. Well, these are the questions we're going to ask you. We got an hour to ask you about these questions. We'll do it and slowly, you, Jed. You're going to do it so I'm gonna, slowly. I can change my answers for the second time. No, we want to hear about these things. But really quickly, just before we get into it, can you tell us about right now, Dallas String Quartet, who you guys are? So Dallas String Quartet, it's a group that started originally as a classical ensemble, but kind of evolved over time and... Uh, became this crossover group between uh, modern and uh, classical music and contemporary pop music, rock, cool. jazz, fusion. Cool. That's exciting. Now, see, now that we have a baseline for what it is you do, now we can get the story we, from Romania through 9-11 to Dallas. Come on, man. You're oh, spilling all no. the beans. Rookie, rookie, rookie mistake. <laughs> well, well, speaking of rookie, did you learn English in the States or did you learn it? long before you got here? Uh, well, I had to learn some in Romania because there was a test, you know, you had to pass for the university, but it's uh, very different, you know, when it's on the paper versus when yeah. you talk to people in real life. So right. I knew some stuff um, and then friends helped watching a bunch of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking all for the old, the tall buildings in uh, Louisiana, that was confusing. And for a really <laughs> inexpensive apartment in New York City too. <laughs> right <laughs> no way so let's take us back to the beginning now you were born in romania you're born and raised out in romania did you have a uh, musical influence growing up was your family musical did you have exposed to music at a young age yes my uh my family on both sides from my mom and my dad's sides they're they're musicians um my grandparents were musicians my parents were musicians so very early on, um, I was assigned this role of musician. So when oh, I, was, I yeah. started when I was four or five. So yeah, it it was thrust upon you a little bit. Yeah, you so, were so everyone was, was making music around you. Was the no, viola forced upon no, you when you were young? It was piano. It was piano. Okay. I, I, so I started. I started with piano. I lived in a, a smaller town in Romania, so. You know, like musicians, parents, they only have to see a little bit of talent. And they're like, we got to send him to a school somewhere where we can teach him more music yeah. than we know. So when I was six, uh, they sent me to a school about uh, two hours away or so. And so I stayed the first year there and studied music. But mm, after the first year, they decided, you know, he's kind of young to leave him here. So I went back and lived with my parents uh, and went to the school they were for second and third grade. And, Whoa. Yeah. And then they decided, you know what? He's not good for him to be here. So they sent me again to Whoa. school. <laughs> now in a bigger city at a better school, but I was fourth grade by that time. And so in Romania, the school, you, you could only start certain instruments. Uh, like you could start piano and violin in first grade. And then like fourth and fifth grade, you start like 
uh, viola, cello, or like brass or wind instrument. I learned trombone in fourth grade. That was when they you had recorders till then. Exactly. Really useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's kind of like because everybody asked me, how did you choose viola? Well, I played piano originally, but because I went home for two years, I had to start with a, another instrument that they would start in fourth grade. Nice. I mean, what I would say to people who'd say, why do you choose viola is why didn't I choose viola? You know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then you drop the bow. Yeah. <laughs> drop the bow. Yeah. Violin wasn't enough. He had these hands. He needed to make some noise. I did 2.0. But that's crazy. So Two like, point bow. <laughs> Man, I can write this down. <laughs> yo, Scott Two was point good yo. at <laughs> All right, I'll was a stop big dad so joker. Jed can go. Oh, he's a huge dad joker, and then he became a dad. It's bad, dude. I congrats. You gotta- <laughs> Thanks, man. I see <laughs> that you have a son named Julian, so props. Yes. Yeah, that's – I enjoy it. So, like, a lot of people on the show get into music on here on the Waldman's Words, get into music, and then maybe go to college for it or go get either – classically trained or trained in the business you might have the highest pedigree of any guest you were in formal educational tr- full-time training at age seven eight six 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 and then you went back and then you came back again did yeah. that give you like a sense of like independence that you wouldn't have had otherwise do you feel like that spurred you positively into music that's a great question um man never thought about it that way but I tell you what, every time, you know, like when I was in college here and people would say like, oh, I'm still undecided about my major. That would mm. be like, I could not understand that. that I was like, I was like, well, what? you had to declare your major by the time <laughs> yes. you were five, right? <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. So I was like, what do you mean? You don't know, yeah, I know yeah. what I need to do. Since what I was do you mean five? you don't know what your parents want you to do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly literally we come from the eastern block it is like little choice there it's like you do what you're told (laughs) i'm russian polish and i can tell you that the ashkenazi jewish community is quite similar anyway (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes but so you were i mean we're talking so young and you know schools are structured differently everywhere but by the time you got to you know the american equivalent of middle school and high school were you like totally deep into music? What balance of your education was all music versus traditional? Right. So we went, there were two major schools in Romania um, in the capital in Bucharest for music. And there were so sort of like specialized music schools. You still did your regular school, but on top of that, you did like almost like you do two schools, but they would be a little kinder. They don't put so much emphasis on chemistry and math, but you still had to do all of it. But we did, complete like a separate music program so it was full music since fourth grade wow right they had to get you a little more well-rounded and yes. now by Try the time well i mean and that's common you know you see that in art schools in la i've observed that where it's like half music and half everything else and if right. that's what you want to do then good you want to be well-rounded but this is also the time where we get to ask our favorite question which is did you have any solo or group music projects in middle or high school and what were their embarrassing names <laughs> translated of course because if you're going to say something in your language we won't get it <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know 
I I can't remember one, but the only thing that I remember that is like we wanted everybody in school in Romania wanted to play jazz somehow. I don't know why. Mm. Like we thought that I was like, and so the only songs <laughs> that everybody was playing, you could hear that throughout the school was Autumn Leaves somehow. I don't know why. All the like six year, like six and seventh grade people were playing like Autumn Leaves in Romania jazz, trying to be like, ooh, look at these chords. But we didn't. Yeah, our projects were like different than here. Cool. Well, my eighth grade band was called Eat My Pie, guys. So, anyway. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Well, we had a bright future of one year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no embarrassing band names, but was this when you were exploring music outside of school? Was this when you were like, I want to be in a band? I want to play shows? No, that was not. I, I don't think I knew that until... My second year of master's in college. Wow. Because, so yeah, it wasn't that, no. It was like really formal education yes. and training, like yes. through through 18, through high school. Yes. And even after that, they were like, there's a certain plan and way that you study this, and then you get into a symphony orchestra, and then you do all these things that there's already a path for it. You don't have to think, you know, like, it's not like, ooh, uh, what should I mean, my <laughs> plan. It's not uh, that. It was like, like this is what you're in journey. This is where you need to get. Uh, uh, so you're gonna need to practice more. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you appreciate the training. I feel like a lot of people who started like very professional training young kind of grow to resent it because it kind of takes over their whole life and they have to be very, especially piano. I feel like that's the biggest one where it's like you, your posture right. gets critiqued and your hands get critiqued and everything. And they yeah. kind of grow up to resent even the idea of playing music at all. But that seems to have the opposite effect on you. You still love it. Yes. I think part of it uh, had to do with not living with my parents. Cause if you have like your mom and dad, like looking over your shoulder every time you practice. And my mom did that when I was at home and Oh man, it was a pain. I hated it. But uh, because I was in a, I was living on my own in a dorm, it kind of, I had to do it because I wanted to. So it wasn't anymore because somebody was watching me. But yeah, I can see why it can be like that. But it wasn't for me in this case, just because I had a little bit more freedom. I can tell you actually, I feel the same way towards life post college for me in LA because. I didn't have that many people when I moved here. I knew two people. So I was able to, you know, meet many people on my own. Had I had a lot of people that I know here, I would might have been too comfortable. Right. So that's so interesting. That's so exciting. Because again, yeah. Thank you. I was proud of that story too. Okay. <laughs> you. So again, so many times people on the show are like super good at the business side of things or incredibly passionate artists who are trained. You might have like the greatest pedigree of any musician on the show. You've got the most formal training. You're decades of formal training. In but, but to be clear, that. most of the people we have on the show are behind the scenes. True. I see. Yeah. So too. you're killing it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, and I mean, like you said, so your path is laid out. So like did the equivalent of high school end and you go straight into university? Did you right, right into a four-year program? I did, um, and so I I did that for two years. I, I think I did a year and a half or two in the university there, mm -hmm. and then I moved to LSU. 
Okay. I was going to say, what city was this in? I was in Bucharest. Mm -hmm. And um, then after my first year, I decided to move. Is Louisiana State? Yes. So Shaq School, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) The claim to fame. Uh, That's so – how did you decide – how did you start to decide to make that movie? How did you decide? (laughs) Yes. Uh, This is probably the best – story i have today but (laughs) (laughs) yes i was like people ask me i have to tell like this story in concerts many times when i'm like everybody's like why do you did you move why did you move the truth is i had like an official story but it wasn't true (laughs) the true story is that i was dating this girl and i broke up with her i was like i want to go as far away as possible from you (laughs) and my two choices was in rome to study there my sister lived in Italy, so she's like, oh, he's like, you know, I have, I send my audition tapes. I'm like, yes, we'd love to have him here. Or I had this other friend that was at LSU. I had no idea what LSU was. Like, like I said, I was like, LSU, I was like, I was thinking like New York. And I was like, I don't know what LSU is. And the only factor that came into play was like, which one is farther from this oh girl? <laughs> and that's how I chose LSU. I was like, I'm just going away. Compared to Rome. Would anyone? Yes. Oh my God! You must which, really which hate is this so girl. Funny. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't that I hated her. It's so funny because I didn't hate her. We, we just had like she really. Was, you didn't hate her. Your entire no, 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 no. Uh, You left the continent, bro. No, I loved her. Maybe I loved her too much. I don't know what it was like. We had like she was it was one of these weird relationships where I was something. Let it go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was traveling a lot, touring, and so she always, you know, she thought I was, like, you know, like, insecure a little bit with jealousy about, like, a girl that I was playing with, and I never had a relationship with, she went completely opposite, and she started dating this dude that I was not guilty of doing anything, so I got so upset, I was like, I'm leaving, this is it, (laughs) that I was like, he's like, you just cheated on me, and I didn't even do anything, (laughs) so... That's what that was the reason. It's not like I hated it. I just maybe didn't like her. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So that's that's the, that's the kind of heartache that inspires you to do something crazy and then yeah. write a crazy song about it. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny. There just could not be any bigger difference between Rome and Louisiana. Oh uh, man, you have no idea. What are you yeah. talking about, Jed? There's Colosseums and <laughs> I was so wrong. I was so wrong. My sister, she was so sweet. She was like, you know, like, oh, you know, she bought me all these super nice designer clothes from Rome. And she sent it to me so I can have for my year abroad going to college in America. And I'm I'm going to this like crazy leather shoes, like with no socks and like pants. And I'm in Louisiana and people are going to school in pajamas with a pillow. Like, literally, yeah. they had a pillow in the class. I was like, I don't understand what is happening. Why do yeah. you have a pillow in the class? Did everyone that... sound like Bobby Boucher's mom in the water? <laughs> <laughs> well, my English wasn't great anyway, so I, I thought that was the standard. So. <laughs> right. And then you're trying to interpret their accent, too. Uh, I couldn't get any direction in the airport. That was just so oh, no. I was. I just nodded. I was like, okay. So, I, I mean, I want to ask if there was culture shock, but of course there was. So specifically, was there a type of culture shock with the music? 
like sheet music is universal, but did you run into yes. new issues starting to gel? Oh, yes. American? A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it actually more than, more than I wanted to. And he came across kind of not great on my part. So wait, it's in Baton Rouge, right? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and that's that, like that's some real country, right? That's like yeah. real, like. The university is great, actually. The university was good because they had a lot of like international teachers, like the viola teacher was from Poland, the violin teacher from Bulgaria or something. So it's, the music department was actually very, very good. It was surprising for Louisiana. You're like Louisiana, you don't think music's cool, you know? Yeah, but it was great. I loved it. But where I got lost was in the classes, like a music theory type thing. Um, and I will explain why, because, uh, I have perfect pitch and uh, <gasps> you guys probably, maybe you guys know, but like, I don't know if your audience know, like I can recognize, I can hear any note and I can tell you what it is. And so normally that's good. You know, it's good to have as a musician, but yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't great in Louisiana. Like I almost failed all my classes because of it. Because you were too adept. What do you mean? Well, okay. So let me explain. So. Do you guys, did you study music in school? I, I don't have, I'm actually, of the three of us, um, I moved to LA for music. Uh-huh. I played in a band, in a major label band, where I played bass. I play guitar, I play bass, but I do not have degrees in them, but I've taken music classes since I was a little kid. Okay, well, I will make a show, I'll explain. So there's, in music theory, there's this class called Soulfish, where you have to kind of sing, um the notes in a song, in a tune, or like they would give you a tune and you have to be, you know, do, re, mi type yeah, thing. Yeah, no, sight, re, we were, t- it's funny, the last yeah. episode we just recorded was sight reading. Sight reading, exactly. But what they do there is different that w- what was throwing me off. It's, they have a system where it's called movable do. So that means that you can start a scale from C and call it do, which that's what it is. But you can also start from G and still call it do. Uh, you know, like, and so you would have to sing G and say C. And my brain doesn't let me do that. I can't uh, do it. Because if I, it, it, I don't know how to explain. It's very difficult. When you, when you hear something, it's like seeing something. This is a door. And now you have to call it a window. I was like, I can't call it a window. Right. Because yeah. so, the starting notes different are different for other people. Yes. And so like you, you sing something, I can tell you it's a G. But if you make me say it, that it's a C while I hear it's a G, I cannot do it. Huh. It's like the brain doesn't switch. But it's, so I tried so hard and they thought that I was just being difficult or like, oh, you just. But and so they, it became this thing between me and the TA because um, he thought that maybe I'm trying to outdo him or something. And they started giving me all this dictation, like three different voices, with three different time signatures, just anything that it could like throw me off. So I had like a different, completely different curriculum from the people in the class. And so wow. it was, they were giving me C's and B's and even though the class was very, very easy for me, but it was just right. a very different system. And so it came across that maybe I'm trying to be too cocky or something. And then the guys like just got worse and just like tried to destroy me. And I was like, okay. Send me their home address. I know. Yeah. I need it, man. It's been <laughs> on my list for 20 years. <laughs> right. You never forget. It was just difficult. It was just hard. You may not remember what people say, but you remember how they made you feel. (laughs) That's exactly right. He played trumpet, by the way. I remember now. (laughs) Oh, trumpet players. No, to all the trumpet players listening, we love you. Skies are blue. Fall blue. I'm blue. You are blue. 
to to round out with as crazy as it sounds we're already getting near the end of the first half of the show <laughs> and i want to make sure we're hearing the full you know lead up to your modern uh career so i wanted to sure. ask first were you always strictly viola did you ever cross train or think that you wanted to try something else like a different instrument or a different genre? right well both uh well i play piano still okay um, and then other than that, I played violin a couple of times, but uh, no, I stuck to viola. Cool. And then, right, also in terms of genre, were you like really focused on classical before yes. you came to LSU? And then they were like, hey, you're going to do this weird shit now. <laughs> no, so I did classical LLSU and SMU all the way to my master's degree. I finished that. Everything was classical. Where, you got, where I started doing something else was I started doing we were doing these live performances and in a public space. Uh, and so people, we were playing Mozart. Nobody was stopping, unfortunately, to listen to these free public performances. Yeah. And somehow I came across and we did an arrangement of uh, Bittersweet Symphony, The Verve. Oh. Um, Which is the Rolling Stones, everyone. Heck, there you go. There and we so all go. <laughs> we did it. And then I just noticed like the how people reacted to that. It was so different. And so that's when we first started because like, let's play with different genres. And, and from there I started looking at more of a improvising and went a little bit, did a couple of summer courses at Berkeley. And, and so I, since then I've been just fascinated by all these other genres. Cool. And, you know, like you said, in, in your first school, people were getting into jazz and obviously, you know, American Created music is everywhere now, but especially when you hit LSU, were you hearing new music and pop songs and just other genres that were making you go, huh, like I could do something more? No, not at all. (laughs) Your your exposure to new music didn't change how you wanted to make it? No, not not at that time. It was a little bit later. My wife still makes fun of me sometimes because I don't know like super popular songs. It's like... But did you grow up in the jungle? I was like, no. And then you say yes. Stop being yeah. sensitive, wife. <laughs> it's like just symphony music. I can tell you like all the symphonies and when they were written and why are they different and what's happening in the second music movement with the form. But then like Journey, I didn't hear Journey until like 2008. Wow. <laughs> it's been a longer journey for you. No. Don't worry, I'll welcome you with open arms. Oh. Yeah, so it, it was, it's funny because like, at the beginning, when we started this project, when we started doing this crossover, I'm leading this band, and I don't know any of this song. We started to play, like, Bon Jovi and stuff. I'm like, I've never heard Bon Jovi. Let me go wow. grab a CD. Well, Talk Midwestern about- Housewives would be mad at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, we're not going to give your address out, because half our listeners are going to come beat you up for not knowing. Yeah, I know. Our, our fan base yeah. is all West Bloomfield, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> but... Again, I want to make sure we're hearing everything. So did you finish your master's at LSU? No. So I transferred to SMU, finished my master's there here in Dallas. Uh, and then Is that Southern you, Methodist? Yes, correct. I, so, I just want to know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Finished that. Um, started dating another girl, my ah. first wife. And uh, I was playing in the symphony and realized that I wanted to do some other stuff. And uh, I, my father-in-law used to ask me, what is going to do? What's your job? Like I'm gonna start a string quartet. <laughs> cool. So that was the that was it. That was the when we started the quartets. 
2007-2008. Well, this year marks the 14th anniversary. So Mazel Tov. We're going to take a short break in 30 seconds. But before we do, did you have a name for your first viola? <laughs> this is an American thing, man. We don't give names to instruments. Oh. <laughs> we just want to get away from it. We'll see it every day for six hours. It's like, I don't care for a name. I just don't want to see you at all. So its name was Kryptonite. Thank you very much for <laughs> there, you there you go. I don't know what else to say. I'm just going to let Jed close this out or if Emily <laughs> wants to yell at me and then we'll get into segment two. We're going to take a quick break, listen to what Adobe has to say and play, and we'll be right back. Hey. Hello. Welcome back to Waldman's Words with Jed Fuchs, Emily Burke. I am Scott Waldman, and we've got Jan Zanka. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You know what? Thank you for between this segment and the previous one, when we have the uh, commercial break that none of you will ever be privy to, you said you laughed a lot. And I got to say, so did I. (laughs) So, (laughs) Dallas, Texas. Two things I do not think about when I think of Dallas, Texas. I don't often think of Bach, and I don't (laughs) often think of Bon Jovi. Why Dallas? for this besides the fact that you live there why dallas why am i here or why did the name dallas all of the above and more yes well dallas i mean what do you really think of when you think cowboys. of Dallas? oil cowboys like the team or the uh, both. both cowboys <laughs> white women with blonde hair Lily oh, that, that one is real barbecue a less a less musically uh like central music scene of uh-huh. Nashville, similar uh-huh. vibe, um, old money, yes. um, country music, and racism. All of them, all of them, all in together. Jan can attest to all of those. However, like you said, uh, you mentioned this was like in the late thousands that you were graduating and launching into this next portion. And that's when Dallas was really like urbanizing and really becoming more modern. So you kind of caught it right up on the upswing, huh? Or you catalyzed it. Yeah, or it was you who did that. (laughs) I think it was me. I I was definitely confusing them because I'm a a little bit darker where I can be either from Middle East or Mexico. Oh, God. (laughs) I definitely confused some people in Dallas talking about (laughs) it. I don't even want to. I do want to ask, but I don't. But first I want to ask, so you graduate, you have a master's in music, and as you learn quickly in America, having a master's in anything is worthless. So I wish you told me that before people were trying to give me loans. <laughs> could have told you that. But how did you – you're out in the world. You've got the world's most expensive piece of paper. Uh, what came <laughs> yes. next? What next steps did you take? So I for a while I was doing uh, – playing in symphonies and auditioning for – some bigger orchestras around the country. Um, very competitive. Um, there's so many musicians graduating every year, and there are only like two positions, like for a viola, because somebody died in a symphony in Cincinnati. You know? <laughs> it's really, really sad. There was a statistic that it showed it was harder to get into a symphony than to an NBA as a player. I mean, because there's so few spots. Because once you get a spot in the symphony, you're kind of set for life. 
So you have to really do something really bad or like just die. One uh, of the yeah. And so, yeah, that was, that was not fun. And then when I was playing, I realized, you know, I, you, after a while you get to play the whole repertoire, right? You play Mozart and Tchaikovsky and all this. And at some point you're like, I already played this. Are we doing it again next week? And so I wanted to do something else. I wanted to try something else. And, uh, I've, uh, that's when I, I started this quartet and I just wanted to completely look at, at it differently. So we started with an electric string quartet. We changed from like sheet music to iPads and just kind of modernize it a little bit from all points, from the repertoire, from the look, from the type of music, all that stuff. Cool. Yeah, exactly. But, but you're trying to gloss over. How did you meet these other musicians? Were you back in Dallas playing shows? Were you actively seeking them out how did you meet these people so initially um i met them in college we were going to the same school and we're just kind of playing gigs while we're there you know just a wedding here and there or whatever it was just to make some extra money and uh and then after we graduated we remained friends and just started playing more together and we saw this niche with uh, you know like people were open to a more modern string quartet which is so difficult trying to modernize a thing that has been the same for 400 years, you know, like yeah. string quartets. It's like, that's why it's like, you know, you saw the tagline there on our website because it's hard to explain to people. Like they still think very traditional, like that we play only Bach or only. Well, Beethoven. it's your, your name is Dallas string quartet. And that sounds like yes. something you would see at a Philharmonic, but that's your exactly, tagline yeah. where Bach meets Bon Jovi, wait, one, two, three, five words. That says it all to me. Just I'm the so name might be confusing. Like if maybe if it was like modern string quartet or Dallas contemporary, you know what I mean? But your name, your name is badass. It's just, it could confuse, you know, a lot of elderly people. Oh, I can see that. Uh, that's why we were like, we said so we have to find the tagline because it, it was very difficult to always have to kind of explain to everybody like how this no, is. No, we're not that. No, we're not that. Exactly. Exactly. We like Bach. Bach's great and all. Get down, get heavy with some Tchaikovsky, some Rachmaninoff. But yes, beautiful. So you meet you meet up these people. Now you say string quartet, but if you look at the photos on the Instagram, <laughs> there are more than four of you. Right now they are. Yeah, initially there were just four, and um, we were playing just this kind of typical string quartet form: two violins, viola, and a cello, like chamber and music. Chamber music, exactly. And then my cellist was really, between me and him, we were doing some really cool stuff. I was using like the viola to kind of use, um, there's a technique called chopping where you kind of use your bow to like hit the strings to make mm -hmm. them kind of like imitate like brushing on the drums or something like that. And then he was using, he used to play guitar. So he's using a guitar pick and use the cello like strumming. And so we were starting to create this interesting, weird new sound with where we're getting a lot more rhythm in the string quartet. Because the strings are great for the luscious sound, but if you want more like, you know, percussive, more like upbeat, rhythmical stuff, it's not that, you know, like the natural way of it. So like when we started figuring out how to play the instrument different, differently, I was like, okay, this might be something cool we can do. So that's when we started exploring more. But as we went on and Concerts became bigger and bigger, you know, like we wanted to have more variety. So we kept adding. It's hard to do cashmere without drums, you know, like no matter how good your technique ah. is, to, you know what I mean? How are you going to do that unless you have something hitting really hard? Yeah. So 
after years and years playing, we said like, we're not going to fight this anymore. This is, you know, it's more because we were trying just to do it in a string quartet form to be purist. But um, as long, we felt like that as long as the music gets better and it sounds better and people are, you know, impacted and they love it, it doesn't matter how you get there, you know, like it's, it's okay to add other instruments. But we yeah. felt guilty at the beginning adding other ah. instruments. Do we change? Do we call it the quintet or the sextet? No, just stick to your branding. Exactly, and we just yeah. put the four in front, and the other guys would be just the. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, when you finally played outside of Dallas, was that shortly into the career? Like, where was the first time you played outside of your home? And I'm not counting like a, a suburb. Like I'm saying, like out of like Dallas Metro. Sure. I mean, we did a lot. Of, I don't remember exactly which one was the first, but I do remember that early on when I realized the Dallas name, it might be hard, was we got invited to play the NBA halftime show on Christmas Day. Wow. And it was nationally televised and everything. And you was, guess where? Because we didn't know where it's going to be, who's going to be in it. But it turned out to be San Antonio Spurs and against the Dallas Mavericks. And we're playing in San Antonio. Wow. And it's a huge rivalry. And so the announcer comes to us and says, like, there's no way in hell I'm going to say Dallas String Quartet is performing the halftime show <laughs> <laughs> between Dallas and, and San Antonio's person. No like, do you have another name? And I was like, oh, no. And I was like, San yeah, Antonio just... String Quartet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, just make it DSQ. You know? DSQ, yeah. So but it's like, it was hard because it was hard to start changing it because we're building an audience in on Pandora and Spotify and we're getting like billions of streams and like it's, how do you re-educate people? Wait, you know, like I'm going to turn down a million listeners a week so I can have, you know, change my name and start over. I was like, yeah, so that's I was like, okay, this is it. We're going to have to make this work. Well, it looks like you are. I'm looking at your Spotify right now. You have over 200,000 people across the planet listening to you monthly Woo! with several songs in the millions. I mean, that's very impressive for a group that doesn't create, you know, original material. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's been, that's the next plan, but I guess we're going to speak. As of now, well, point. you can talk about that now too. You, you can talk about it here. You, are you guys making your own record wherein Dua Lipa will cover you? Yes, that's happening next week. Not <laughs> no, not yet. But we are making original. We're starting to make original music, and uh, it's kind of exciting. But I feel like it, we're at the time where we can do that. It, it took a while because nobody cares about. I mean, we have some original music throughout these six albums, but not as much as we wanted to. But um, well, that's not what you're known for either. Exactly, and so like we didn't want it to change it completely, but. Uh, we do want to experience that a little bit more. So next month, uh, we're releasing a big, uh, song, an original song with some really cool uh, guest musicians on it too. So, well, by the time this episode airs, the song might even be out. But I yeah, know that Jed cool. is very excited right now, so I want him to say something. No, we all have a ton of questions, but something that I'm thinking of is like a lot of guests on the show have launched their careers by hitting the pavement and putting flyers and Instagram accounts in people's hands and saying, okay, you're going to show up to this dirty bar on a yes. Thursday afternoon for my 7.30 p.m. set. Yes. I'm the fourth band in line and there's eight <laughs> yeah. ones on after me. 
And that's how they make it happen. And that was their path. But I guess I'm betting that that's completely different than how you book shows and get people into seats. What's that process like? Every teardrop is a waterfall. (laughs) (laughs) You know, man, I have the greatest respect for that because that is difficult. Like to build one fan at a time. I mean, that is, I can appreciate how difficult it is. And it takes some. Serious perseverance and discipline to do that. So I, I have the greatest respect for those guys doing that. Uh, unfortunately, my path was different. Um, we, it's weird because for us, it happened the other way around. We, we built, we, we did these recordings that we started putting out there and that they were doing really well without us even being signed with anybody at some point. They were doing better than people that were signed with Sony and other labels, big labels. and. I wasn't doing it. We weren't doing any promotion or anything. We weren't even playing live. So for us, it kind of worked the other way. Like the recordings were doing really well where we looked at it and say, okay, there's enough people out there that perhaps we should start looking for an agency to do some concert to, because they seem that we have an audience now. So that's kind of how we did it. I'm curious about when you do do live shows, what, mm-hmm would you say like the main audience is, or is it all just an eclectic mix? Because when I think of a quartet or any kind of orchestra classical, you always think of an older crowd. And then when it comes to stuff like Bon Jovi, you think of a younger crowd, but then even on your website, you say Rihanna, which is like teen and young adult crowd. So it's kind of for everybody. Is there like one main group that you see will always come see your shows? Dallas housewives. (laughs) (laughs) uh no you know it's been it's been kind of interesting because we we looked into kind of the audience that we have to for like marketing purposes and all that stuff and it's just so different it's like you know their teachers like playing the music in the classroom because it doesn't have any words and it works for the kids and for the students there are people in universities that they like to listen to the music because again no words so they can study and then and then you also have, you know, like an older audience that want to hear something more modern, which uh, it's a, so a lot of our music, like if you'd come to our show, it would be like this. We'll start with some, we choose some of the most beautiful excerpts in the classical repertoire. And they're really just gorgeous pieces of music, like, you know, anything from Bach, but also like more modern, like John Williams, Schindler's List or anything like that. It's just musically doesn't matter. Like you write rock or pop or jazz. It's, it's just beautiful music, right? And then that transitions like really mellow, like classical virtuosic type thing. And it gets into where we start transitioning like half of the piece, like we do an arrangement between Kashmir and then uh, Sibelius Violin Concerto. So you get both, you know, you get uh. like this beautiful violin concerto going into Sibelius and this. So like it's easier and then we get them transitioning. And by the end of the show, people... You know, you lose their attention, so they need to be entertained. So you put all the beautiful, heavy stuff at the front, and then by the end, we're just like rocking out with Bon Jovi and all this other stuff. You know, yeah, because it's kind of a journey. So we play everything. So, but we've seen like you know people that are in the eighties and like, kids that are like fourteen all sh- showing up to the same concert. Right. You know? Well, so it's it's hard to see it. But obviously, there are some that you kind of have to do all encompassing. But if you were playing, you know, a senior center, you definitely tailor that with the more classical stuff. And if you were playing a high school, you know, gym, 
I guarantee you, you'd play a little bit more Rihanna than Bach. Well, we did that. That's exactly what happened. Like in the last tour, like we really had to like build different sets for, like you're saying, we did a gym with high school and like 2000 kids there. And you're like, Oh my gosh, where am I playing here? Well, well, for my wedding, we had a band called the Spasmatics. That was an eighties tribute band. And so they actually tell you their songs on the website and they're like, all right, well, you have like an hour and a half. Tell us what you want us to play specifically and you'll get the set list cultivated that way. Is that how it is if you're playing like a private event, like a wedding or they just give you free reign? Uh, no, it's not. I've learned early on not to give people so many choices because they yeah. don't know what we're good at, you know, like and yeah. some weird stuff in there. So like. No, we don't give <laughs> we don't give people choices. We're mean. Well, we, you're you're real pros. You walk up to them and say, "Right, exactly." It's not a you guys aren't like a full covers band, even though that's a, you're a reinterpretation. Right. You you fully reinterpret. And on that note, like, are you taking songs? Are you taking Rihanna's S and M and being like, "Okay, this is a very well produced song. There's a lot of good elements to it." But now we have to flush it out even further to make it work for these classical instruments. Yes, and I think that's that's where like some of this cool part, like that's my favorite part of this project is like how can we use like this beautiful song by whether it's Rihanna or you know One Republic or whoever it is, and just put a unique spin interpretation and spin it and build it in a different way, you know, or produce it in a way that you know like it's reminiscent of the original song. But in a way, it's a completely different tune, you know, mm-hmm. because of the orchestration, the way it builds, the way it's mm-hmm. produced. So that's kind of that's the the best part in like in lately doing some of this stuff. And we like a lot more elements of like we use elements from funk and jazz and hits and extra harmony that normally you wouldn't hear there. You know that we because we have a smaller audience than her, we can afford to like play with that. Versus you know once you're Rihanna, you have to stick to the four chords that your audience used right. to. Right. Same four chords. Now, I will, this is about you and this is about your group, but I will draw one quick comparison to a group I got hooked up with recently, which is called Abstract Orchestra. And they are a small, they were a pretty small uh, group and similar-ish to what you do, but they do covers of hip hop albums. So they've done uh, an album from the late great MF Doom, as well as the producer Jay Dilla. And I immediately fell in love with it because I get to hear these songs that I know and love replicated by like amazing artists. So I know that that's the effect that you are having on your listeners. I know someone's hearing a song that they already like and then having their mind blown when they hear you do it your way. I mean, and that's the hope, you know, you want to be able to like, we're working right now, uh, a song, you know, by Billy Eilish that when the party's over, I mean, it's such a gorgeous song. Do you guys know that song? Yeah. Probably Emily knows it. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, there's a key in there that she said was very difficult. Yes. Very high, but it's like, it's just kind of like a haunting melody, but it's super simple and pretty. And so I said like, how can we make this? Like, because you don't want to take from the simplicity, but also you want to do it a little bit different. And so if you love the song, because the melody is beautiful, like. Well, that's why we all love the song. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Anyways, but we want to take it like we're working on it now and we working with the arranger from Pentatonix. Oh, cool. That guy is so talented. So I was like, we contact him. It's like, how can we take this? 
and make it, you know, because his talent is to make a melody, like sound really good on multiple voices on where it's harmonized well enough where you still hear the melody, but it's so rich and beautiful. So with his help and kind of producing, we're looking to do this arrangement more like a cinematic take of it. Uh, if you have a chance, the song itself is basically piano and voice. But if you do think of it as changing it to a cinematic kind of like a Hans Zimmerman, you know, type version of it. Yeah, literally. So it's, exactly. it's, fun, it's fun to do some different things. Like I this. have a question for you. Yes. Are you a fan of Metallica's S&M 1 and S&M 2? Uh, I like some of Metallica stuff for sure. No, but the S&M stuff where he played with the San Francisco Symphony. Yes. Uh and that the trick with that is we did some shows with the symphony. It's very hard to not make the symphony. Like, if I can get technical a little bit. No, no, please do. Symphony, make yes. it so technical we don't understand it and no one else does. Yes. The problem when you play with a symphony is they're, they're slow. They're dragging you down somehow. It's, and it's not only tempo, but it's the feel of it. Think of Metallica. They play hundreds of shows. They already know how to move. How It flows well, right? And it's not perfect, but it's okay because it's a, in a way that they works for them. But once you add the symphony, they're going to be so perfect that the things that should move, they stay kind of slow. The things that shouldn't move, they, you know, it's all that. And so either have like a good conductor, I mean, and a good, not that San Francisco conductor is not good. He's amazing. But like one that knows the music well, where it tells people like, don't read everything that is on the paper. Just listen more rather than listen than read, you know. So it can be really good, but some, I mean, if you were to do a project, that would be the orchestra to do the San Francisco Symphony. Amazing. Right. But that's the challenge in general with shows with symphonies. Right. The way I see it. Right. Well, you have a different insight than I do. Yeah. And that Jed does and that Emily does. Yeah. And that the Dallas Housewives do. <laughs> I think we should talk more about that. I like that part. Bro, All right, well, let's get Brianna on the show, y'all. Us, <laughs> us four are starting an a cappella quartet called the Dallas Housewives. Now, money, 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 money. Now, with as sad as it is, we're already coming near the end of the second segment <laughs> of the show. Oh. But we want to make sure we're asking all of the good questions, especially as it pertains to the super modern times. So you guys are recording music and releasing it like that, but also playing a lot of live shows, as is very important for modern artists. And then just about a year ago, that thing happened that made it really (laughs) impossible for people to play shows. How have you guys pivoted in the last year? How has your workflow changed? Uh, well, one thing we were all kind of started setting up our home studios. So we're able to record faster and more than in the past. And at the same time, also save money, which yeah. has been amazing because we have like seven people. So every time one tracks, you know, like it's whatever the studio right. time takes, you know, times seven. So that's been a really good thing. Um, yeah, we don't play as much, but also... I feel like every artist should have a time where it kind of takes time off to reflect a little bit, to see if you like what you do and if you want to do it differently. Because you never have time when you travel and you have to keep thinking about the next gig, the next concert. You're on the go. You know you're not happy about some things and you want to change it, but you don't have time. So this was great from that point that we finally got to slow down. So we wrote two or three originals. We... um kind of got into production a little bit more and learning about, you know, 
how to produce songs, not only from a orchestration classical type view, but just more like producing with sounds and effects and reverbs and plugins and all that stuff that normally we don't work with. I mean, if you ask me before, what's a plugin? I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, literally. And so that's what we can expect from the band coming up. You guys are working on a lot of new material right now and you're ready to launch when things start to return to normal. Yes, uh, we have a, a new release and I'm not sure when the episode is going to be. Well, in mid-March, we'll have our first original. Um, it's a Latin song and it's an amazing piece. Are you guys familiar with a pianist, Jesus Molina from LA? Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> Scottish. I speak nice. for me. Jesus Molina is one of the most talented, crazy, insane piano players. Well, he has a name that kind of brought him into the light, you know what I'm saying? Uh. <laughs> yeah, that helped. You guys should look him up. He this, this kid is genius, man. Like, it's unbelievable what, what he does. And so we did this project with him where he came as a guest and recorded this original song. So we're doing for the first time a full Latin song. We recorded percussion in Colombia. We did uh, wow. piano in L.A. And a whole uh, brass section. It's like a 14-piece orchestra. Talking about four-piece quartet. Getting yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw that out the window. So that's coming out. In, uh, it's going to be out uh, end of March. Bro, man, I have so many more questions for you. An hour was not enough time. But what that means is I'm going to have to DM you and bombard you with all these interesting things you got going on. Can you please tell us where we can find your socials and Dallas String Quartet socials? Sure. So on Instagram, it's Dallas String Quartet. And uh, my personal one is Jan, I-O-N dot Viola. And then YouTube is Dallas String Quartet. Great. And all the Spotify and everything as well. All the Spotify, correct. Cool, man. Oh, we're so excited to see what you got going on. However, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for the clarity. You know, you're sweet like sugar. Nothing else matters. (laughs) Oh, man. I didn't let Emily talk at all. Oh, no, I'm here. I got, well, we're all connected i think jed and scott yes. knew exactly what's going on but you will be don't blame yourself me. blame jed uh, yes <laughs> it's easier speaking of, speaking of jed ladies and gentlemen this has been waldman's words here on adobe radio you are either listening live on adobe.com at 5 p.m pacific on a tuesday or on the adobe app or you're listening to us as a podcast on all your favorite platforms where you can find us at waldman's words you can find waldman's words at waldman's words on all of the good social platforms our fearless leader scott waldman is at scott lewis waldman or at Lido beach on twitter our Fantastic co-host Emily Burke is at Emily Burke everywhere. Three E's and totals. You figure out where they go. I'm at Jed Fuchs on all the platforms. You figure out how to spell that, except for Twitter, TikTok, where I am, at Jed the Fish, and Twitter, where I'm still suspended. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, Yawn on the show today. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for Thank being you, here, Yawn. You guys are awesome.